Take your copy of the scriptures, if you would, in hand, and turn to the book of Mark. <clears throat> we continue in Mark this morning, pick back up our series through the gospel. <clears throat> this morning I'll be reading uh, Mark 1, chapter, uh, verses 21 to 39. Mark 1, starting at verse 29. <clears throat> I'm sorry, 21. I'll start at verse 21. Uh, before we hear the word read and preached, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon that very thing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have spoken at various times and in various ways. You tell us uh, to your people in the past, but in these last days, in your Son, the incarnate word. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed at this time open the mouth of your servant, proclaim that word and the power of the Spirit. We pray that the same Spirit would open the hearts of its hearers assembled here this morning to receive the gospel and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. Father, we pray, grant that we may hear and read and learn and inwardly digest this word, and that through the, uh, the comfort of that same word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. <coughs> Mark 1, starting at verse 21. Please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick, or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in, the syn in their synagogues and casting out demons. So for the reading of God's word, <clears throat> may he indeed add his blessing upon it <clears throat> at this time. <clears throat> well, we have lots of conflict in our world conflict all over the world. <clears throat> There's big money in conflict, uh, and we have 
I'll have conflicts in our lives personally as well, well right? Uh, conflict at work, conflict at home, conflict in the relationships, our interactions with people that we have. <clears throat> we return to Mark today and we see in our passage conflict. This conflict, conflict in the kingdom of God, kingdom conflict at the coming of that kingdom. And in Mark, we've already seen, uh, as we've looked up to this point, the theme of his gospel. Uh, we've seen Mark identify Jesus as God in the flesh, that one who was sent and who has begun that second great exodus, uh, the one who came after that second Elijah, John. We also saw how Jesus, the true son of God, was different from all who came before him, whether it was Adam or Noah or Moses or Israel. This son was faithful to his heavenly father, rejecting the temptations of Satan in the wilderness. <clears throat> and we also saw how Christ began his ministry by preaching the arrival of the kingdom of God. Right? The kingdom of God, Christ preached, is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And therefore, he called Israel to repent and to believe the gospel. And Christ's announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of God means that there is coming conflict and growing conflict. Conflict between the current authorities and the authority that is coming and that is now here. We saw this conflict started already when Christ rejected the temptations of Satan, the ruler of this world. And we read a more detailed account of that temptation in Matthew and Luke. And they're going back and forth in this conflict. And in that conflict, Christ comes out as victor, as champion. He does not give in. He does not worship the devil. He says, be gone, Satan. Quoting scripture throughout the conflict. And we see here today <clears throat> that conflict taken to those who serve Satan, right, to the demons. Right? This conflict, this battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan goes forward. And it also goes forward in the religious leaders of the time, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so that's what we uh, see here in these verses, verses 21 to 39, this developing conflict between Christ and his kingdom and those in authority, right? the scribes and the Pharisees. And with the announcement of, the, of Christ's kingdom coming, a response is evoked, right? With the announcement that he's come, uh, it, it, it rises a response, right? Either of acceptance or rejection. And that's true now, even as it was then, right? And so let's look now at this growing conflict and the kingdom of God. In that first section, verses 21 to 28, we see Jesus enters the synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath, right? And this is significant, right? You see that it's, it's the Sabbath, right? They went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered a synagogue and was teaching, right? Verse 22, it's significant there. There's difference between the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them not as the scribe, but one who had authority. So there's this obvious difference between Christ's teaching and the teaching of the established authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees. And we also see this conflict between Christ as the anointed king of the kingdom of God and the forces aligned with Satan. Right? Christ defeated Satan previously, and then comes this demon into the synagogue. Right? Into their synagogue, immediately there was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cries out, this is verse 20, 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You've come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. <clears throat> and let's look at some of the significant parts of this text, this first section, 21 to 28. 
Again, notice it's the Sabbath. And it takes place, again, in a synagogue. In the context of this, uh, this event, of Christ delivering this man from the demon possession, is his teaching. Right? So you see right there in verse 21, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, when Christ is teaching. Okay? Sabbath, synagogue, and then the instruction of the Lord. And notice, too, Mark says that the man has an unclean spirit. That's how Mark describes this. And he's speaking more in terms of uh, uh, not healing so much as cleansing, right? Cleansing, unclean, and then he frees him, he cleans the man. This is significant. But let's look at these elements um, one at a time, right? The Sabbath. There, uh, let's start with the synagogue, right? It's Christ enters the synagogue, right? And what's the synagogue? That's the territory of the religious leaders, right? That's their realm. That's their place. That's where they teach. And so Jesus has gone from preaching in the countryside previously in chapter 1 in the wilderness to now he's going into the synagogues. And he's not only going into the synagogue, but he's going there on the Sabbath, right? And again, it's the realm of the Pharisees and the scribes on the day when the scribes and the Pharisees would be teaching. And so there in this conflict, uh, it... We see the where and the when, right? But we also see the what and the how. Um, it's very evident to the people what the what is, right? It's the teaching. It's unlike what they normally hear. The teaching is uh, different. Christ's teaching is not like that teaching. And we see how it comes, right, with power and authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Christ preaches and he cleans a man from demon possession, right? Unclean spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be unclean? For the Israelites, being unclean meant being cut off from the people of God, indeed cut off from God himself. And see what scripture is drawing out for us here. It's that the current authority, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were impotent regarding this man. They had no power. They can't cleanse him. Their teaching has no power to do so. It is impotent. But Christ, he comes and teaches with authority, and he cleanses this man from this unclean spirit. And he restores him to what? To the covenant community. Again, notice what the Spirit is doing through Mark. He says he's setting up, uh, as we read, the Spirit sets up this contrast in the conflict between those who claim to have authority, Satan and his demons and the scribes and the Pharisees, and the true authority of the true anointed, soon-to-be-installed king of that kingdom. And we see the same thing in the next section, verses 29 to 34. Right After Jesus... Uh, frees that man in the synagogue. He left to go to Simon's home. And when he gets there, he finds what? He finds Simon's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever. Verse 31, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And notice the pattern. Remember, it's on the Sabbath. Twice now Jesus has healed on the Sabbath. Once in the synagogue and now in Simon's home. And this is the reason why the scribes and Pharisees criticize and they go after Jesus. They thought it was unlawful to heal on the Sabbath. Right? No good. And so there's this growing conflict, you see. And then we see in verse 31, Christ heals Simon's mother-in-law and then she began to serve. Right? But that's, that's no good. 
right? She's serving on the Sabbath. She can't work on the Sabbath. What's she doing serving on the Sabbath? She's working. She's doing work by serving the new king on the Sabbath. The scribes and Pharisees would object to this. They'd likely totally reject this. Uh, and so we move forward in the text. We see the same element again as Jesus continues to heal. And look at the text where it says in verse 32, we're given a very specific time frame. The when, right? Verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so notice, brothers and sisters, this is still the same day. It's the Sabbath. And see how few Jesus has healed to this point, the smallness of his healing. Just two people, the man in the synagogue and then Simon's mother-in-law. But now, why is this crowd, right, the whole city, it says, all coming to him? Again, notice Mark tells us, that evening at sundown, right, traveling was prohibited on the Sabbath. But now the sun had got down, gone down, and the Sabbath is over, and the crowds of people come to him. Well, why was travel forbidden on the Sabbath? It's got a long history, but it's because the scribes and Pharisees said you couldn't go more than a certain distance, maybe a quarter of a mile from your house. And if you did, you'd be breaking the fourth commandments. You'd be guilty of working, laboring on the Sabbath. And of course, you've probably all heard of the scribes and Pharisees that famous workarounds to this provision. Uh, so they could go as far as they wanted to on the Sabbath. Um, and by the way, we must be uh, aware of workarounds our minds come up with. In regards to the law, right? You must beware. Uh, workarounds are usually no good. But what, do, what would they do? What would the Pharisees and scribes do? Well, they said where your stuff is, where your food preparation is, that's considered your home. And so, though you couldn't go more than a quarter, a third of a mile from your home traveling on the Sabbath, they would stash personal belongings and food all around, which let them go wherever they wanted to go. But notice here that the people come after sundown, right? It says, that evening at sundown. Why? It's because at sundown, the Sabbath is over. And so the people are freed from this restriction placed upon them. And notice this growing rift, recognize this rift is growing between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus, between those who claim to have authority and Jesus who actually has authority. They burden the people. They yoked the people. Christ frees the people and he heals the diseases, the diseased and the demon-possessed and he restores them to the covenant community as the people of God. But notice, Christ has to heal after the Sabbath. Why? Because the people are shackled by the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees, the very ones who were supposed to shepherd and care for the people of God. And in fact, it should have been them, the scribes and Pharisees, on that day to go out and gather the people and bring them to Jesus so they'd be cleansed and restored and brought back into the covenant community. That's not what they did. They despised him for it. And then we see the next time indicator, right? The next time indicator in verses 35 to 39, the Sabbath day is finally over, right? It says, rising very early in the morning. Right? Jesus has healed many people. And it's in the morning after the Sabbath, Sunday morning. And we see that Christ rises early, and verse 35 says, 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Right? So God's unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God finds his spiritual sustenance, uh, sustenance in constant and communion and prayer with his Heavenly Father. That's the source of his spiritual well-being, his nourishment, his sustenance. In verse 36, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus answered, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why he came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And we find something else of significance here when we read these words. Christ's preaching, his healing, his casting out demons was not isolated to that city, to Capernaum. Christ was telling him, let's go out and beyond Capernaum, right? Christ's work was not intended just for one city, but for all Israel. And of course, beyond even Israel, to the whole world. Christ has gone out announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. And upon his announcements, we see the kingdom of God is coming. His announcement, he announces his coming and then he demonstrates its coming in power and in deed in the things that he does. And in doing so, He's showing that something greater than the law is here, right? Greater than the law. The law was what? Powerless to heal. It could not heal. It could only expose people's sin and unclean status. But Christ was now healing the sick and the demon-possessed, who, according to the law, were cast out of the community and far from God. And we also see that Jesus was invading the territory controlled by the forces of Satan, right? Satan offered Christ the kingdoms of this world if he would only bow down and worship him. We read, but Christ again refused and he rebuked Satan. And even more, after he refused, he began to advance the kingdom by casting out the emissaries of Satan, the demons. And the kingdom of God is coming. It's coming in. It's advancing into enemy territory. And it's freeing those who are enslaved in bondage to sin and to Satan's forces. And this is, of course, the ongoing parts that we talked about uh, earlier in, in Mark of Isaiah's second exodus, right? Christ is what? He's freeing captives. He's freeing them. And we also see that in addition to Christ taking territory held by Satan, he's taking territory that was held by the religious leaders, right? But that actually belonged to God, right? They held it, but it was God's territory. They had taken the law, added their own traditions, and burdened the people of God. The scribes and Pharisees had indeed become, as we've looked at before, just like Pharaoh, just like Pharaoh's wicked Cruel, oppressive task, task, taskmasters. Christ came and healed on the Sabbath, both in the synagogue and in Simon's home. And when the sun had gone down, <clears throat> set on the Sabbath, the people were free from the traditions of the scribes and Pharisees so that they could come to Christ, the true authoritative teacher, and be healed. And they were. He taught with authority, not as the religious leaders. And he showed his authority in word and in deed, right, in action. He said it and he did it. Christ was taking the Sabbath back to its intended creative purpose. Not to deny uh, the people, not to be a day of burden and law, but a day of freedom from captivity to Satan, to sin, and to death. And the fact that Christ didn't restrict his ministry to one location showed that the kingdom of God was advancing upon all of Israel and even to all the world, just as was promised to Abraham long ago. We also see here, interestingly, that Christ didn't want the knowledge of his work spread like gossip, 
Have you ever thought that is strange or wondered about that? Why is he telling them to be quiet? He didn't want the knowledge of his work to spread like gossip, right? Because if it spread like that, people would come to him only for the physical benefits, right, afforded to them by this of the kingdom. Physical healing, not the spiritual healing that he was offering. This is why he rebuked the demons to be silent. He didn't want them spreading the message of his identity, the Holy One of God. And, you know, a message can, can be corrupted by the one who brings it. Christ also silences them for another reason. Silences the demons because he knew that the people were looking for a political Messiah, a political Messiah at that time. And they would think that one had come, the one who had come would deliver them from Roman oppression. But Christ didn't want to be recruited into someone else's cause, someone else's issue. No, it's Christ who is enlisting people, the people of God into his cause, into his kingdom, not theirs. And we see here the seed of conflict, the seeds of conflict between Christ and the religious leaders. And Christ advances and claims what rightly belongs to the kingdom of God. And the religious leaders from whom he takes it seek to destroy him. They want to kill him. He's ruining everything for them. He's destroying their power and their authority and their prestige and their place. And this is the beginning of why they wanted Christ dead. And when we look at all of this, brothers and sisters, we are confronted with two options. Either submission to the authority of this new king or rebelling against him. It's the same two options. In this passage, we see this confrontation. And how is it that the religious leaders respond? What was their reaction? Intense hostility, refusing to give up their power and authority that they had over the people, that they idolized. On the other hand, for those who submitted to the new king and placed their faith in him, they were healed of their infirmities. They were freed also from that bondage to Satan, to sin, and to death. For those who reject Christ, there's judgment. For those who look to him in faith, there's healing and the forgiveness of sins. And as with Simon's mother-in-law, Christ comes to those who look to him in faith and he heals them of their sins and he enables them to serve him, to serve him, to have a new life and they walk forward in a whole new life. And along with that, he promises them complete and full restoration of their bodies. Right? Those healings were typological of the true and final restoration of our bodies in glory, that's part of what Jesus is doing here by healing Simon's mother-in-law. Right? He's telling everybody that he deals with the whole person. He brings forgiveness of sins and then a total restoration of the body. Of course, at that time, the only in Christ's ministry, people were receiving, yes, the forgiveness of sins, but they were receiving a taste of what it would be like to have a restored body, a body healed. Simon's mother-in-law eventually died. But brothers and sisters, the time is coming for those who look to Christ in faith, for the forgiveness of their sins, that they will be raised from the grave. And the Apostle Paul tells us we will receive new bodies, resurrection bodies. And so me, we, brothers and sisters, look to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and also for the promised restoration of our bodies as we look forward to that day when every illness, every defect, and every disease will be eradicated forever. And may we rejoice and live in that inaugurated kingdom under the reign of Christ, which he begun. And unlike the time of our passage, as we read in Mark, in our time, Christ has been installed as king, and we live under his reign. Therefore, like Simon's mother-in-law, having been healed of our sins, looking to Christ in faith, 
we should long to rise and to serve our king. Not serving ourselves or the decaying kingdoms of this world, but seeking to serve Jesus in all aspects of our lives. Living for him and telling others of his coming and of the freedom and peace and life that attends serving this king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the strength that you give us. We praise you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you for our Savior who accomplished redemption for us. Give us hearts to believe, Lord. Give us wills to respond and to live for him in all that we do. Lord, showing the love that we've been shown to the unlovable, to the loveless, to a dead and dying world, that you may draw out of them your elect, those whom you've chosen, and give them hearts to beat for Christ. We ask this all in his name.